Open thou mine eyes, and I shall see. Incline my heart, and I shall desire. Order my steps, and I shall walk in the ways of thy commandments. Amen. Do you remember when all of this was new? That time when COVID-19 still felt like a novel virus. And how our lives, although changed, were beginning to open up to what could be. Many of us were working from home for the first time, imagining what we would do with all the hours we would have in the future now that daily commutes and long-haul trips for work would become burdens of the past. Our kids were pioneering new patterns of remote learning, perhaps even paving the way for their future years of affordable college education, because surely now college could happen anywhere for anyone online. As much as we hadn't chosen it, the pandemic had opened our eyes to new ways, not only of seeing one another, but of seeing our future. Do you remember the images of Himalayan vistas photographed from no longer smog-heavy New Delhi? Or the sightings of wildlife reclaiming their land from the narrow cityscapes of New York to the expansive beauty of Yosemite Valley. It was not so long ago that we were celebrating the balcony singers of Italian towns and cities, serenading strangers with songs of solidarity and defiance at this invisible viral enemy. Random acts of kindness were extended in the grocery store, and change of shift cheers could be heard for healthcare workers across the nation. We were beginning to imagine that the life we had been living could perhaps look different to how it had been. We were starting to question our endless forward movement, the relentless busyness of modern life, and our insatiable desire to have more than we need. Something about the sheer strangeness of a world put on hold, an entire planet sent for a time away from itself, jolted us. And we share dreams and visions of a more generous and spacious future. With these, we also dared to ask those larger questions that we had been needing to ask. Would COVID-19 be the catalyst for the world at last to confront the existential threat of global warming? Would capitalism's long run of domination of how we order society finally have a reckoning with its disconnection from morality and our most basic need for human kindness? As the world began to spin a little slower, we dared to ask whether a new dawn for humankind could actually be on the horizon. In those early months of this pandemic, our eyes had been opened. Yet something closed them again. Our cheering for the extraordinary acts of goodness 
and self-sacrifice made by healthcare workers has faded. And as millions among us began to flout public health warnings by refusing to wear masks, a form of basic medical protection became a symbol of political maleficence. An army of citizens across this nation gave hundreds of hours of their lives so that you and I could safely exercise our most basic democratic right this fall. Yet their service to country continues to be undermined by political leadership with a more than casual relationship to the truth, abusing the power entrusted to them to govern, trading the public good for political and personal expediency. And right here in Georgia, even as we can tell the celebratory story of history making numbers of citizens in this state casting their votes, from among those same citizens, state elected officials, including our own parishioner, state senator Elena Parent, have received despicable threats of violence simply for upholding their oaths of office, actions which this church condemns strongly and wholeheartedly. What happened? How did our talk of a brave new world give way to all too familiar narratives of division and expressions of our lowest common denominator? Well, truth be told, reality bit. The full scope of human nature came into view. As much as we have needed to hide much of our faces from one another during the long months of this pandemic, the split-level nature of this year, utopian visions alongside dystopian tendencies, has merely revealed who we really are. Beings in conflict with our better selves. It is a conflict we feel that we live into when the myth we tell about ourselves comes crashing down upon the truth of who we are. Any alcoholic in recovery or spouses on the upside of restoring their marriage or any person who has lost good years of their lives to incarceration will tell you how the myth and the truth of who we are are potent and oppositional forces. And for life to move forward, one has to overcome the other. If we are to have hope for the future, whether that be the future of our individual lives or the future of life on this planet, then we will also have to have honesty. So I want to offer a word this morning, I hope a good word, about how we get there, a path that is well trod in the story we share in common as followers of Jesus, no matter our differences. That word is repentance, more than just saying sorry or regretting the past, but a wholesale change of heart and mind and about turn on the road that orients us back to the God who has not stopped loving us even as we wander far from home. Advent is so thoroughly 
a season of repentance. For what could sharpen the mind more than the knowledge that this season's journey will make its destination at the birthplace of God? We cannot simply go there blithely. For we should make our way to Bethlehem certain in the knowledge that there is nothing we can give or receive at the feet of the Christ child unless and until we have made our way to the manger through the wilderness penitence of Advent. Advent is the season when we are invited to look at the interior of who we are. A time for us to question what we carry with us so that we might lay down the burdens of pain and loss and hurt and failure, rendering our hands unburdened enough to receive the gift of new life in Christ. Advent then is a time for honesty, a time when we can give up the myths we tell about ourselves and the lives we lead. Yet the call to repentance is not only a question of individual behavior, it is a vocation we all share. Certainly, the events of this summer have revealed that to us with clarity and urgency. The myth that told us that we were somehow a post-racial society, that our work of uprooting systemic racism was complete, was busted in the most tragic of circumstances as our nation woke up to, to a reality black and brown-skinned Americans had been living with all along. Yet surely we should have suspected that it was so. For sin does not root itself out. Sin, like the sin of racism, infests the ground. Not merely of our individual lives, but of, of all our lives. We have yet to tell the story of this nation's shared sin of racism. We have yet to make our confession. For it is only then, when we have revealed our truth to God's gracious power, that we will be able to make our turn on the road and find our way home. Truth's answer to the myth we have been living with is that we all have to repent. That is certainly the theology Mark has to offer us in his gospel this morning. The opening of his account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ does not begin with a nativity, no shepherds in the fields, no wise men following a star. Mark begins in the wilderness and with a very clear description that it is not merely a subset of individuals who make their way to join John by the Jordan, but that the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to meet him. For Mark, the theology is clear. The nation, the people, the wholeness of a life shared with others is what is needed of cleansing and transformation. This is our theology too. As Episcopalians, our baptismal covenant has its beginnings in this very segment of the Bible. 
our proclamation that all people should be treated with dignity and respect, our striving for justice and peace, our commitment to seek and serve Christ in all persons. It's not a series of statements about personal ethics. It is a vision of the whole of society. It is a statement of intent for the kind of life we believe we should have with others and of the kinds of distortions of that life that we should roundly reject. The point is not merely that you or I should speak up in the face of injustice and sin, or even that we as a church community should articulate together a faith that puts flesh on the bones of our baptismal promises. The gospel theology we hear today is that we as a people, we as a country, we as the human family are called to repentance. Repentance for all of the harm we have done to this planet's ecosystem, our fragile island home. Repentance for the ways by which our fellow human beings, because of their skin color, or sexual identity, or orientation, or economic power, or gender, or age, or physical ability, have been exploited and oppressed, made objects of our economic desire. Repentance for settling for a political life and ways of speaking to one another from across the street to over the internet that are laced with malice and misinformation. Repentance for our indifference to other people's pain and need and loss. Repentance for all the ways we have together fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not milk toast. It is not an easy nor a cheap grace. Not because it intends to place before us an unassailable barrier to change, but because it takes our sin seriously. There are times when we should leave our gathering as the body of Christ soothed and serene. Yet there are also times when we should head back out into our lives unsettled, disquieted, no longer at ease in this old dispensation that the world has fashioned for us to live in. Dear saints of God, remember that this was a year when our eyes had been opened. We had seen a vision for a world, for a way of sharing life with others that was so much more than the worst thing we could say or do or be. Let us remember the future we had begun to imagine. Let us take up the opportunity that lies open before us to make a turn in the road and find our way home. Let us be a people of repentance who will share our stories without fear and name that which has held us back from the kind of lives God calls us to. The world needs people who will see more of the promise God sees in all of us. It needs people like you, born from above in the waters of baptism 
eyes open and hearts awake to the kingdom of God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And remember the future we can still share. For God is making all things new.